Today, we're going to dig in and ask the big question, are you being sabotaged in your business? Whoa, nefarious. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and I've gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. Awesome. So, and, and by the way, um, I've heard from several people who have already spoken to Mark uh, and give me lots of positive feedback that they've been really happy about their conversation with him. And for the people who've signed up and actually done it, they, they're telling me that they wish they had known about it years earlier. So if you've ever seen me play that ad from channel sponsor, Mark Willis, and you're curious about it, um, go over newbankingsolution.com. There's five videos that I've made over the years with Mark. You can learn a lot more about, uh, about what it is that he does. Um, and reach out to him if it's something that uh, that you're interested in learning more about, because he can break it down and, and show you how it can fit into your own personal solution quite easily, uh, personal situation. So sabotage, right? You're on this channel because either you're in business already and you're maybe thinking about selling one day or you're looking to buy a business. And if you are a business owner or you're looking to buy a business, that means you are going to be a business operator most of the time, right? Um, very, very, very few people buy a business and have asked somebody else run it. Uh, and if they do, they usually get in there and run it and learn it and develop the systems and processes and everything before they step back and let somebody else run it so that they actually know what to observe to make sure the business is still being managed properly. So if you're going to be an operator, it's important to understand the signs of sabotage, right? So uh, I, I subscribe to a lot of different stuff. And there's this uh, one thing I'm going to share with you here today. This comes through Substack. Um, it's called Extreme Outsourcing, and it's from a guy named John Matzner. And this came out at the end of March. And it, it's one of the different things I subscribe to. And I took a read of this article, and I thought, wow, I need to share this with my audience on YouTube. Uh, because I can certainly tell you that in the careers that I've had in my different positions with large companies, uh, I now wonder if some of the people I was working with we're looking for ways to sabotage those organizations. So let me let me dig into this because I know you're going to find this interesting. So it, this is now declassified. And so this is coming to us from uh, uh, in 1944, the predecessor of the CIA, which was called the Office of Strategic Services. Uh, they wrote a manual called Simple Sabotage Field Manual, right? And so the idea was, how do we get our, our agents who might be involved in enemy organizations to sabotage the efforts of those organizations in a, in a wartime effort, right? So it's now declassified. The manual was once distributed to OSS officers abroad to assist them in training citizen saboteurs. 
So uh, in occupied countries like France, so if you can imagine, you know, occupied France, there would be these civil organizations, parts of the former government that were now part of the, you know, um, occupying governing system. Um, and so these are regular folks who may have been involved in things that would lead ultimately to helping or not helping the occupying force. So, you know, if you were like some kind of civil servant in the French railroad organization, for example, then you might actually be doing things that would cause, you know, maintenance or repair efforts to uh, be more uh, efficient or not efficient that would either help or hinder the occupying force, right? So, so training some of these people who were not necessarily combatants could have a serious impact on what was happening, uh, you know, in the war, right? So, so this is great though because the behaviors and things that this general instructed, you know, these citizens to do, these citizen saboteurs to do, um, I've seen these behaviors in organizations that I've been a part of, right? And so it's a great little kind of checklist to recognize when you may have a human resource problem that you may need to address. Not specifically that someone may be, you know, nefarious outside entity may be trying to sabotage your business, but if these behaviors are showing up in individuals in your organization, it could be a clue to you that it may be time to think about a little bit of turnover. That could be helpful. So number one, how to sabotage an organization from within. Number one, insist on doing everything through channels. Never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. So, you know, you're trying to delegate authority to people within your organization so that you don't have to be the one that makes every decision. And if you have employees that refuse to accept the delegated authority that that amongst themselves insist on continuously going back to you, that would be an example of number one. They're, they're trying to delay decision-making power that you've pushed down the channels. They want to keep coming back up to you. And what does it do? It's, it causes delay, right? In the, in the words, in the, you know, eternal words of Sir Topham Hatt, causing confusion and delay, right? Number two, make speeches. Talk as frequently as possible and at great lengths. I used to work with a guy in a produce store that if you let him, would go off for 25 minutes about, you know, the proper way to unload a truck or something. And we'd all stand around listening to this guy. Uh, and people would say like, wow, we're, we're not really working very hard here because we're listening to this guy. Right. So if you've got someone who makes speeches, who talks too much, it can be a problem. It's, it causes a drain on your entire labor rate because you're, you're literally paying people to stand around and listen to someone make a speech. Number three, when possible, refer all matters to a group meeting for further study and consideration. Attempt to make the group meetings as large as possible, never less than five. Right. I've been in, in departments before in various organizations where we had all kinds of meetings. It was really hard for me to get my work done when I was always being dragged into a meeting. Uh, number four, bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible, right? So, you know, this is the, you're trying to get business done and someone keeps talking about something to do with the parking lot or something, you know, things that just don't impact the day-to-day -day of the organization or how you're trying to help your customers. They keep bringing up these same things over and over again. It's either got to be something that you can deal with and get it off the table or question, why do they keep bringing up this issue? Haggle, number five, haggle over precise wordings of communications. Number six, 
refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question of the advisability of that decision. So continuous rehashing of things that have already been put to bed. And again, if you're the owner of the organization and you're the boss and you make decisions, uh, you should be able to snuff some of this stuff out and say, no, that was decided. But if someone keeps bringing it up over and over and over again, they won't accept the authority behind the decision that's been made and move forward. Um, then you have to start to wonder, like, like, why does this person keep wasting our time? Number seven, <laughs> demand written instructions for everything. So, you know, I've, I've, I've seen this before where people are like, well, I know that I was told to do that, but it's not in my job description or, or I haven't gotten a memo specifically outlining exactly how it's supposed to be done or something like foolish like that. Number eight, misunderstand your orders, ask endless questions or engage in long correspondence about such orders, quibble over them when you can. So again, just confusion and delay. Number nine, do everything possible to delay the delivery of communications. Even though parts of a communication may be ready beforehand, don't deliver it until it is completely ready. So again, this is these are the people who constrain access to information because it gives them power within the organization of your business. So they they try to control information. They hold back stuff from other people because it makes them more important and, again, causes other people to be less effective, less efficient, overall increases the overhead burden of your organization, making you less competitive. Um, number 10, in making work assignments, always assign the unimportant jobs first. <laughs> Just, uh, um, you know, to, to, again, not being expedient. There was this uh, great um, story I remember from when uh, back in the first satellites were going up into space and uh, the Russians had put up Sputnik and Sputnik was broadcasting uh, radio uh, signals back to Earth, little bits of information. And uh, when the Americans would analyze the information, they were they were trying to figure out you know why things seem to be backwards, and then later when uh, you know the the Iron Curtain came down, and they were talking to some of those uh, Soviet era space people. They simply said, "Well, we were worried that we might lose the reception of the signal, so we put the most important bits of information in the broadcast first, so that uh, if the signal degraded and we couldn't get the last part of the transmission, we, we would get the most important pieces of data." So you want to prioritize things that are important, obviously. Um, Insist on number 11, insist on perfect work in relatively unimportant products. Send back for refinishing those which have the least flaws. Approve other defective parts whose flaws are not visible to the naked eye. So uh, over the weekend, I posted on, uh, this was a couple of weeks ago from when you're going to see this, but I, I posted on Twitter that I fixed uh, my vacuum cleaner with a three inch wood screw, a, a little plastic tab had broken. I drilled a couple of holes, put the screw through and it seemed to hold. And some, one of the respondents simply said, if it fits, it ships. Right. And so um, what they're saying here is that if, if it looks okay, send it along, it's not your problem. But obviously if you're in business and you're shipping products that aren't going to work properly, then the, the cost of managing the returns, the customer service, the repair work obviously are, are much larger than if it had been dealt with upfront in advance. And so you have to ask yourself, are we properly creating incentives so that workers wanna make sure that quality products get shipped and we're not creating excess work for the after sale you know, support process? 
And, and this would be, you know, obviously highlighted by problems that people had in auto manufacturing, particularly in the, the 70s and 80s, where, um, you know, employees were not incentivized to stop the line when they saw a problem. And when they, when they changed things, when they said, okay, we want you to stop the line if you see a problem so that we can avoid shipping cars with defects, then of course, profitability, efficiency, customer satisfaction, all these things improved. So uh, you want to watch out for people that are going to allow inferior product to get shipped. Um, number 12, when training new workers give incomplete or misleading instructions, right? Uh, so... This can be avoided if you have proper structures and systems in your business. And one of the easiest things that you can do is go over to easy, easysmallbizsystems.com. That's B-I-Z, easysmallbizsystems.com. Uh, I teach there in a, in a very straightforward program how you can create systems in a business to avoid what I call training, training via folklore, which is what this is talking about. So if employees are learning just by having conversations one to the next, then uh, then it creates all kinds of opportunities for uh, people to create inefficiencies. I made that bigger. Um, number 13, to lower morale and with it production, be pleasant to inefficient workers, give them undeserved promotions, discriminate against efficient workers and complain unjustly about their work. So, um, I've never worked in a unionized work environment, but I've known people who have. And one of the things that I've heard consistently about some unionized work environments is that if you show up and you're too efficient, there will very quickly be some social pressure on you to slow down so you don't make other people look bad. And that would be an example here of number 13. Uh, number 14, hold meetings when there is more critical work to be done. Okay. Again, Tie up everyone's time. Don't let people be efficient. Number 15, multiply paperwork in plausible ways. So create more bureaucracy whenever you can. Number 16, start duplicate files so that there's confusion between which you know file is current and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I've had to deal with this in my own organization, working with assistants over the years, where um, I'll have a, a, a place where information is stored and then people will make a copy of it and then all of a sudden, you know, now there's an issue of version control. Which version is the most recent? Which one are we using? It just creates confusion. Then you have to end up looking and comparing at the two, the two versions, figuring out which one is which. So, you know, purposefully doing this is a way to reduce efficiency in an organization. Number 17, multiply the procedures and clearances involved in issuing instructions, paychecks, and so on. See that three people have to approve everything where one would do, right? Number And I've seen people in private industry create processes that keep them in the loop. Again, making them powerful because systems break down if they're not there to do things. And, and so you don't want somebody creating, uh, uh, you know, building empires within your business, right? You want to be as efficient as possible. Um, number 18, apply all rules to the last letter. Very, very strict in following the rules. Number 19, do your work poorly and blame it on bad tools, machinery, or equipment. Complain that these things are preventing you from doing your job right, right? We've probably all had experience with an employee who's, who's had this kind of attitude. Number 20, never pass on your skill and experience to a new or less skillful worker. Again, this has to do with power and control. So somebody feels that if they're the only ones capable of doing a certain thing, that then gives them job security. 
You want to have an environment where people are willing to share so that number one, you don't become reliant on that one individual. But I've always said, you know, if that person passes their skills on to someone else, it means that they're now available for promotion. Otherwise, they're going to be stuck in that role forever. And if somebody is hanging on to that role, if they're keeping secrets close to their chest because they they don't want to share, well, you know, when they when somebody works for you and you pay them, you're paying them for their time, their skills, and their efforts. And so if you direct them to share some of those skills and efforts with other people, then that's part of their job too. It's it's different with a contractor. You know, if you hire someone to come in and do something on a contract basis, you know, come in and set up, you know, this new machine for us. Well, that person is probably not going to teach you everything that goes into how to properly set up a machine, but they should be teaching some of your employees how to maintain the machine, you know, what to look out for, what are the signs of wear and tear, what are the signs that we need to call them back and have them address something, right? And so what part of somebody's employment should be that they are going to be sharing the things that they know to help develop further the team. You want to have that teamwork environment. You don't want to have these people that are that are controlling things by holding information tightly to their chest. Number 21, snarl up administration in every possible way. Fill out forms illegibly so that they will have to be done over. Make mistakes or omit requested information in forms. So again, confusion and delay whenever you can. And it's it's plausible or, or can be passed off as an error, right? Um, again, watch out for this kind of behavior. If it's the same person making the same mistakes over and over again, and they've been instructed to not do that, and they continue to do it, then it's a question, you know, is this person long-term really worth having as an employee? Or is their behavior, whether it's intentional or not, to sabotage the organization, is their behavior worth it? Because a person who's doing these kinds of things over and over again, they are costing you money because part of other employees' time, instead of being productive, is used to try to undo the confusion and delay created by the problem employee. Um, Number 22, give lengthy and incomprehensible explanations when questioned. Number 23, act stupid. I used to work with a guy who used to act stupid all the time. He wasn't stupid. He used to act stupid though. Be as irritable and quarrelsome as possible without getting yourself into trouble. Yeah. So, you know, back to the the produce store that I used to work at. And I was a teenager when I worked there, like 14 years old. Uh, and yes, when you're 14 years old, you can have a job and you can start learning things about the workplace, how to show up in time and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember there was this one guy and every time he felt like he was working too hard, he would start telling us stories about his friends that worked at the unionized grocery store and how they got more money and more vacation and all this kind of thing. And it was almost like he was a union organizer. He wasn't, but it was like he would be sowing these seeds of of dissent and doubt and, and trying to change the attitude of his fellow workers to match his, uh, to become more of a negative Nelly against what management was trying to do. Uh, And I remember the day that, um, you know, he came in late and the owner of the store finally said, you know what, I've had enough of everything about you and and you're done. Uh, Go home and we'll give you your two weeks pay or whatnot. Uh, And within weeks, the attitude in the back room of that store changed dramatically. It was one of the best things that happened to me as an employee when that other guy was let go. And And this is the other thing, too, is that a lot of small business owners will see a tight labor market and they'll say, 
man, I can't, um, you know, I can't let somebody go because I'll have a hard time replacing them. But what you may not realize is that person, you know, it's, it's not just a pair of hands working in your business. It's almost like they're less than one pair. They might even be negative because of the dragon problems they're creating with the other employees and the erosive effect that they're having on the attitude and work life of the other employees who may, you know, be very happy to work and want to be productive and want to be efficient and want to see you succeed because ultimately it's the success of the business that guarantees the employment long-term of the employees. And so I just thought this was a great list and shout out to uh, John Maxner um, at uh, the Extreme Outsourcing Substack for, for putting that out. Um, and um, yeah, so anyway, thanks very much, everyone. If if you are seriously considering uh, buying a business one day, if you think that this is the way you want to go to get into the world of entrepreneurship more quickly, then I would highly recommend you head over to businessbuyeradvantage.com where you can learn all about the different products and services that I offer, uh, consulting, my online course, my coaching program. Uh, you can sign up for the Business Buyer Advantage online course, which recently got three new modules. And if you're a past student and you signed up before, just log in. They're, they're there. You can enjoy them. No extra cost. Uh, when you sign up for Business Buyer Advantage, you have lifetime access to it. And um, uh, I do add things. Usually for the last couple of years, I've been adding things into that program. So with that, we'll say see you later and um, enjoy uh, enjoy having you all. Thank you very much, guys. It's uh, it's great. I like that, uh, that people like to tune in. And uh, I'm glad that my content is helping people. I get positive feedback about that all the time. It really makes me smile. Uh, and if you have anything to add about sabotaging behaviors that you've seen that you think people should be on the lookout for, just put them down there in the comments. Uh, I love checking out the comments and we'll see you next time. Cheers. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos.